0: You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to NEJM Audio Perspectives, provided in cooperation with the New England Journal of Medicine. Your moderator for this discussion is Dr. Thomas Lee, Network President at Partners Healthcare System in Boston and an Associate Editor of the Journal. What is the impact of the current economic downturn going to be for healthcare? And particularly, what is the impact on the prospects for healthcare reform in the United States? With me today, I've got three discussants with complementary and some overlapping expertise. On my right, I've got Dr. James Mongan, the CEO and President of Partners Healthcare System here in Boston. I've got Meredith Rosenthal, an economist who's an associate professor of health economics and policy at Harvard School of Public Health. And on my left, John Oberlander a health policy expert and associate professor of social medicine and of health policy and management at the University of North Carolina. I think we should begin with that most basic question and turn to our economists and ask, how bad is it? Meredith?
1: Well, Tom, as you know, according to the experts at the National Bureau of Economic Research, we've been technically in recession for over a year now. Um, and most recently, the unemployment news has been particularly bad. The increase in unemployment is directly linked to coverage because of the nature of uh, our employer-sponsored insurance system. And so um, there will be increasing numbers who have lost employer-sponsored coverage, may not even be able to afford to pick up COBRA coverage. And at the same time, uh, state budgets are also in crisis. There may be cutbacks in Medicaid, s other coverage programs that have typically picked up. Up in some of those places where private insurance has dropped off. And so I think at the individual level, we may see a fairly dramatic increases in, in loss of coverage.
0: So, Jim, as the percentage of people who are uninsured or underinsured starts to pick up, what do you see happening for the hospitals?
2: Well, of course, it poses a real challenge for the healthcare system because uh, recession or no recession, people continue to get sick, and therefore the demand by and large, remains steady. There may be some decrease in demand for purely elective services, but by and large, steady demand, and yet the resources potentially available to the institutions, as I say, can be squeezed, particularly on the Medicare and, uh, and Medicaid side. I would say this dilemma is particularly acute for public hospitals, which have a very high percentage of uninsured or underinsured patients and are more vulnerable to uh, cuts in Medicare and Medicaid. There's a lot of talk these days about a health
0: care fed. Meredith, do you have any take on the reaction of payers toward this kind of development?
1: Well, I think, as John mentioned earlier, I think the payers, whether we're talking about large purchasers, large employers, or health plans, I think the notion of greater regulation of any kind is not one that they tend to embrace. Uh, and I think this idea behind the healthcare fed and related policies, for example, the new comparative effectiveness institute that some have proposed, um, these all really talk about centralizing decision making in some way. I think any move in that direction is likely to make the payers fairly nervous.
2: I think it does grow out of some sense of frustration with the inability of our current uh, highly politicized congressional uh, system to make many of the kinds of decisions you have to make in the uh, in health care area. On the other hand, whether Congress is really going to be willing to uh, abdicate that amount of responsibility to an independent agency I think is a very important question. I might add on a somewhat wry note, I think one of the reasons why there's so much support among health policymakers for this idea is many of them see themselves As members of this uh, health fed, so uh, it has a certain appeal, if you will. Uh, You know, the rate regulation question is an interesting question. I think the nation has to make some fundamental judgments about the extent to which it really does want to limit expenditures for health care, and we're very ambivalent about that as a nation. If we decide we really do, then ultimately I think that does move you down a regulatory path. But three things that always have to be kept in mind about regulation. One, it's not a panacea. Secondly, it's tech very difficult to do. And thirdly, I would say any kind of price setting or rate setting methodology uh, builds up a great deal of strain over time. It's not a magic answer. If the country really wants to act with uh, with great strength uh, in the issue of health care costs, it's something that we may well have to consider.
1: Well, I have to say, listening to Jim speak, the first thing I was thinking about, of course, was. Uh, the Resource-Based Relative Value Scale, RBRVS, the Medicare fee schedule, which is, um, is exactly what he said. It's an enormous technical challenge. Uh, it was motivated by the desire to make fees reflect the resources used to deliver care as well as the relative value of those services. But to get that right for thousands and thousands of services while technology is evolving every minute, every day, um, is clearly an impossible task. And the political challenges that the RBRVS has faced over these years have been enormous. And so the, the notion of doing more of that at the federal level... Is is not terribly appealing. Although I think he's absolutely right when he says if we really want cost control, that means regulation. Now maybe that's something on the order of global budgets rather than rate regulation, but it, it's um, it's in the same general neighborhood. I, I don't I don't I don't see that as what we're going to tackle in the next year.
3: Most of what we're talking about in terms of cost control right now in 2009 is what I like to call faith-based cost control, things that have not been proven to control costs like electronic medical records, like disease management, like prevention, all things that are worthwhile, none of them is going to control costs very much, I think, in the short run. And the reason we're talking about those things rather than the harder things is because it's easy politically. I don't think the economic crisis is fundamentally going to change that with one exception, and that is there's going to be tremendous fiscal pressure on Medicare, as Jim was indicating. And among other things, Medicare is going to lose a lot of payroll tax revenue because of the decline in the economy. And that is going to push forward the insolvency date Mm -hmm. and the trust fund for hospital insurance. So I expect within the next couple years, there's going to be a crisis in Medicare financing. And that is going to, in turn, generate pressure to control Medicare spending. And the way that Medicare knows best, it may not be the best way, but the way that they're most familiar with is exactly what we've been discussing, which is tamping down on prices.
0: Are there other options that you see us turning to as we Give up on the easy things and begin to do some of the tougher things.
3: Never underestimate the ability of the American healthcare system to avoid unavoidable decisions. And um, there have been many times in the past when people have said healthcare costs cannot possibly go past this number. And because of this recession, we're absolutely going to control costs. And um, each time we've sort of glided by and we, we, we've hit bumps in the road, but um, we tend to bounce back in terms of healthcare care spending. I, th- I really think that in the short term, politically, nobody wants to tackle costs. You know, Meredith, you've probably done more, you know, hardcore
0: research on the impact of various payment models. What do you see happening now in terms of payment reform? Might it accelerate? Uh, the adoption of new models, might it slow it down?
1: Well, so I, I suspect that it'll be somewhat of a mixed bag. I. I... I think there are a couple of different ways that payment reform can play in here. If you think about uh, worries about avoidable complications, for example, Um, as you know, Medicare has revamped the way they pay hospitals so that hospitals aren't effectively rewarded for causing bad things to patients um, like infections and that sort of thing. And so I think a lot of payers are going to look for opportunities to pull back some perverse incentives uh, that may cause hospitals, physicians to actually take care of some avoidable quality problems. Uh, But unfortunately most of the ways that we know to reduce infection, to reduce uh, errors, uh, adverse consequences involve investments, investments in information technology and quality improvement and it's not clear that the provider sector um, just having the right incentives is enough. They they may need additional capital and as Jim said it's not really there to make those investments. Um, I think uh, there are a number of other payment reforms like the patient-centered medical home and the notion of altering primary care physician payment to support the patient-centered medical home that really are about providing additional upfront dollars to re-engineer the way physicians practice care with the hope that in the long run care will be higher quality and um, less wasteful. But those kinds of upfront investment payment reforms, I think, it seems to me that they're going to be off the table.
0: Um, John, what's your sense of the prospect for payment reform for Medicare?
3: Well, there is an interesting opportunity, and that is the physician payment formula in Medicare is broken and widely acknowledged to be broken. And they are going to have to come up with a fix within a year. It is a very expensive $300 billion, expensive, over 10 years. But there is some thought in Washington right now that they may use the opportunity to fix uh, Medicare physician payments in the sense of exploring some of these opportunities for payment reform. The problem, and Meredith has written about this, is we don't really have a magic bullet In payment reform. What we tend to do in payment reform is go from one favored solution to another favored solution. Um, None of them sticks around very long. So we were into pay for performance. And now, as Meredith has said, we're beyond pay for performance. We're trying lots of other things. I'm not sure there's a clear winner in there. I think there is a chance in the stimulus bill to do a little bit of investment. They're talking about at least $20 billion in health IT. Um, Whether that money is going to be well spent, I have no idea. I think the, the more important question to me in the stimulus package is, are we going to do anything for the uninsured? And right now, it looks like the efforts are going to be modest as part of the stimulus package. One thing that they absolutely have to do, and that is give states relief for Medicaid. You
0: know, uh, you know Jim, turning back to the new payment models, how do you see providers looking at payment reform from, from Medicare? What will it take for them to look favorably upon them? Or
2: or at least not rebel if they're rolled out? I would say that uh, the, the more forward-thinking uh, and looking providers recognize that the current reimbursement system is broken, that unbridled fee-for-service is an engine for inflation, and that consequently some kind of reform is necessary. I think all providers instinctively shy away from kind of the blunt reforms of we're just not going to pay any more than we did last year or pay five cents less than we did last year. We all see this spectrum of fee-for-service on the one end going over to capitation on the other. Many of us, I think, rationality would drive us to capitation, but we recognize there are big political issues with choice on consumers' part, and still remaining technical issues about setting the rate. The in-between has been the vast terra incognita of pay for performance, case payments, bundle payments. But I would say if you're talking about payment reform, you almost need to get at some degree of more integration of the system because under a very fragmented system, it's very hard to reform the payment. You don't know who to give the case reimbursement to or who to give the bundled payment to. And so I think the linkage between the need for reimbursement reform and the need to somehow move from an extraordinarily fragmented health system to a system that's got some degree of integration, uh, I think those two things have to be approached in tandem.
1: Well, I think this chicken and egg problem between payment and organization, that's precisely why I worry that uh, a, a payment reform under the conditions that we're facing now just is unlikely to have the right formula because I think we do need to invest in either infrastructure or communications, the kinds of things that can make practices and hospitals integrated at least virtually um, in order to apply the payment models that are most likely to have the most success. And so I, I really think that requires upfront investments and a willingness to wait for the returns. And and there may be a little bit in the stimulus package that moves us in some of that direction, uh, but there's probably not going to be enough. So I do think that's the right way to think about it. I I think probably 2009 is not the year that we're going to see that kind of investment.
3: This is not a new conversation. In fact, if you go back and read the reports that committees did on health care costs in the United States in the 1930s, they also talked about the fragmentation of the healthcare system. I think it's a very difficult thing to move away from. I think the experience of the Veterans Health Administration has demonstrated the benefits of integration, and, and really they have gone from the back of the pack to being the leader, at least in some respects, in delivering organized care in the United States. Um, but politically, it is very, very difficult to move to that kind of system. We can't do everything in healthcare reform. To me, the most important thing we can do for any of this effort is to expand coverage and move towards universal coverage in the United States.
0: Do you see any silver
3: linings in the cloud? I do. I think, you know, if it rains enough, we might have to build an ark. In other words, I think if the situation in the healthcare system gets sufficiently bad, it may compel action. And we don't know sitting here right now what the economy is going to look like six months, nine months, a year from now. If it continues in this tailspin and there is a tremendous amount of economic insecurity in this country, healthcare is a very large part of that. And there will be momentum for health reform. But I actually think this is the most optimistic time for health reform in the last 20 years. So I think there is a chance. There is a chance.
1: I have, in conversations in Washington with the health plan and employer stakeholders that I spend most of my time with, have gotten a sense of a willingness to compromise that I certainly have not gotten in the past. And I think the same is true on the provider side. I see a very productive dialogue going on between providers and payers that do sort of recognize that neither fee-for-service nor capitation is likely to be the solution and that something in between is the right idea. To get both sides agreeing on that, I think, is incredible progress.
2: I'd be hard-pressed to find some silver lining inherent in this current financial uh, uh, debacle, and I have a hard time, frankly, linking that to the way we get things fixed. And I worry sometimes, I appreciate the Ark analogy, but a lot of people drown before the Ark gets built, you know. So I remain pretty pessimistic about the difficulty of the job ahead of us. What keeps me optimistic and going is I do think that the work in medical science is going to be spectacular over the next couple of decades. Ultimately, I think that will increase pressure that people are going to want the right kind of health care and will force us to figure the right kind of solution so people can get the fruits of all of these advances.
0: You've been listening to NEJM Audio Perspectives, provided in cooperation with the New England Journal of Medicine, Reach MD online, on demand, and on air at XM160.